0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents the conclusion of his teaching on the rapture and your new body. Alright, praise the Lord. We've been talking about the rapture and your new body, and this is part three. Amen. Some of this is a little heady and some of this is a little complex to some people, but listen, it's undertaught in the body of Christ, and I feel my duty as a pastor-teacher is is to teach you about such things, because there's woeful ignorance in the body of Christ about what's coming our way in the future. Amen. We've been talking about the rapture and your new body, and we talked about the rapture in session one, and we talked about your new body in session two, and in this final session, we're going to talk about your place in the millennium, your place in the millennium. With that in mind, it's probably a good time to review our end times timeline so we can get a mental picture of how all of these events flow together. Now, this is the way that I teach it. I taught the book of Revelation for seven years in the Bible school that uh, Trish and I ran in Louisiana. And so I'm not saying I'm an expert. I'm just saying I'm comfortable teaching on end times. And when there's something I don't understand or a question I can't answer, I'll be honest with you. I'll say, I don't know. I haven't really studied it out. I'm not sure what that means. But there are things that I have a solid understanding of, and I'm going to share them with you. Now, I teach, as you guys know, a pre-tribulation rapture scenario. Okay, But today, we're going to talk about the millennial reign of Christ and your place in the millennium. So, really, if you want to disagree with me on when the rapture happens, that's okay, because whether you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib kind of person... We all end up coming back with Jesus to take over the planet. Amen. So we can agree on that. All right. So there's the first coming of Christ reference in the timeline and the church age, which is where we are right now. And then I believe worldwide revival is going to hit the former and the latter reign together. And then when as many people that can be saved in this age have been saved, I believe the rapture will occur. Okay. After that. Antichrist will be revealed, and you'll have the seven-year tribulation. Amen. This is a little bit mislabeled here. I borrowed this slide. Actually, the first three and a half years of those seven years is called the tribulation, and the last three and a half years are called great tribulation. And remember, Jesus said, if those last three and a half years were not shortened, no flesh would be saved. In other words, there would be not a man or a woman. I think even an animal left alive on planet Earth. That's how bad It would be if Jesus didn't intervene. Thank God that Jesus comes in the nick of time. Amen. Hallelujah. And then when he comes after the tribulation with the saints riding on white horses. I haven't talked about this in a while, but just think about it. If you're a saint today in the church age, there's a horse in heaven with your name on him. Amen. And it's a horse that can fly. How cool is that? Now, whether they have wings or not, I don't know, but the Bible makes it clear. They're going to do a teleportation from planet heaven to planet Earth on flying horses. It's a mix of sci-fi and medieval. I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to come and set up Jesus reign on the earth, and he will rule and reign with the saints that have new bodies, which we got into last week, for 1,000 years and then beyond. And we're not going to get to the beyond because that's for another session. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So this is the context of everything that we're going to talk about to lead into today's message. I want to review a passage of scripture that we read last week, which I believe introduces the concept of two different races of people who will populate planet Earth during the millennial reign of Christ. Two races of people. First Corinthians Fifteen, verse 47 through 49 in the Passion Translation. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust But now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Amen. Now on the inside, if you're born again, you carry the likeness of the man of heaven. But this is talking about a day when you will carry that likeness, not just in spirit, but spirit, soul, and body. Amen. You'll be just like Jesus. It'll be way cool. So this is a recap of last week, but this is so much fun stuff. We've got to talk about it a little bit this week. What will the race of superhumans be like? And you'll be one of them. You'll be just like a superhero. And it's not fantasy. It is Bible truth. Amen. We mentioned last week that we will be indestructible, incorruptible, and immortal, just like Superman. I don't know about the uh, X-ray eyes or what do they call that? What do they call that? X-ray vision. I don't know if we'll have X-ray vision or not, but we will be indestructible, incorruptible, and immortal, and we will be able to fly like Superman. So of all the superheroes out there in the superhero universe, the closest that comes to what we'll be like is actually Superman, except we're not from the planet Krypton. We are designed and built on planet heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, We'll be able to levitate and fly and we'll be able to teleport from one place in space to another. Think about that. And if planet heaven exists in another dimensional realm, as I believe, then we'll be able to slip from one dimensional realm to another. Some have even suggested that we'll be able to travel through the universe at the speed of thought. You just think you want to be somewhere and you'll be there. You know, Russ and I were talking last week. I used the example. I said, just think you want to get a closer look at Jupiter. And all of a sudden you're in orbit around Jupiter. Russ is like, why stop there? Let's go down to the surface. You know, even though it's mostly gas, you know, you can get a bird's eye view anywhere you want to go. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. John chapter 21 and Luke chapter 24. Make it clear that we'll be able to eat food just like we do now. Now, how it's digested, I have no clue. And going to the bathroom, I just don't think that'll be a part of our life then. Your food, I believe, will be energized, and there'll be no waste. And I, for one, will be glad to say goodbye to that part of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. And we'll also look like an improved version of our old self and everybody that knew us before will recognize us. We prove that in the scripture. You're not going to be a blob in heaven that has an arm that reaches out and strokes a little harp. You know, you're going to look just like you do now, except a much improved version. Amen. Younger, stronger, healthier. I believe constructed of light, made of light. Hallelujah. It'll be glorious. And I said this last week, you'll even think differently because think about it. When you get a new body, it includes a new brain. It's a brain that thinks like Jesus thinks. Amen. So everything will be completely clear to you concerning doctrinal things and the things of the world and the things in the universe and the reason that Jesus and the father had to do things the way that they did. It'll all be clear. There'll be no misunderstanding. And yes, since we'll be indestructible, we'll be able to stop bullets and any other harmful thing used against us if necessary. Amen. So what will the race of normal humans be like during the millennial reign? We did not get into that last week. Now, there's not a lot said about the millennial reign in the Bible but of all the places in the Bible, Isaiah probably has the most to say about the millennial reign. So I suggest that if you want to learn about the millennium, feast on Isaiah. You can start in chapter 65 and 66, and uh, it's fascinating. So this is one verse from Isaiah 65:20, and I have it in the New Living Translation. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life, no longer will people be considered old at one hundred. Only the cursed will die that young. This is what Isaiah is prophesying about the millennial era. so there's a couple of things we can learn from this scripture about the life of normal humans during the millennium. Now remember, we'll be superhumans ruling and reigning over the normal humans so We're talking about what they'll be like as opposed to what I said we will be like. First of all, it is clear from Isaiah that the longevity of natural mankind will be restored and man will live hundreds of years instead of tens of years. Amen. It'll kind of be like the clock is dialed back to before the flood when men lived to be hundreds of years old. Seven, eight, nine hundred years old. Amen. You will be considered cursed if you die as young as a hundred. That sounds weird to us, but that's going to be the world that we live in. Hallelujah, glory to God. And the other thing, some of them will be cursed during the millennium. Why is that? well, the reason's obvious: there will be those who will reject the rulership and the authority of King Jesus throughout the entire millennial reign. There will be people that resist the reign of Jesus Christ. And there's a scripture that says that Jesus will rule them with a rod of iron. That's Bible speak for he will enforce the peace. There will be peace. And if there's an uprising, it will be put down by force. I know people don't think about Jesus like that, but. He's going to have no rebellion during his reign. He's going to say, in effect, look, you had 6,000 years to run this earth, and you made a mess of it. I'm going to show you in 1,000 years what it should have been like. Amen. I'm looking forward to it. In fact, I I felt the anointing on that. I felt the Lord say it's going to be even better than you're imagining right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how do we get here? How did we get to this place where you've got two races of human beings, superhumans and humans that coexist on planet Earth at the same time? How did we get there? And the scenario where the superhumans rule and reign with Christ over the natural human beings, how do we get there? It's a fundamental question that we need to answer. And the only place I know to go is to go into the scriptures. Amen. Now, I'm leaving out a lot of details, but the basic answer or answers can be derived from Matthew chapter 25. The first portion that I'm going to read is a parable that I believe applies to the church age believers. That's you and I. We will be judged according to how well we utilize the gifts and talents that the Lord has given unto us during this time. I have a preacher friend that says it like this, whether you realize it or not, you're writing your resume right now for what you will do in the millennial reign. So if you want a choice assignment, if you want your dream assignment, then get busy doing what God called you to do in this age. Amen. That simple. All right, Matthew 25 verse 14 through 23. This applies, I believe, and most of the Bible teachers I listen to believe this applies to the church-aged saints, and this is a metaphorical parable about the gifts and talents that God has given through Jesus Christ to the church while He's gone. Remember, Ephesians chapter 4 said that Jesus ascended to heaven and He gave gifts unto men. That's talking about releasing the Holy Spirit That's talking about uh, releasing the fivefold ministry, but also individual gifts in every believer on the planet. So Jesus is gone and he's expecting us to use the gifts he's given to us to their fullest. Amen. Now, nobody does it perfect. So don't anybody get uptight about it. Okay. but if your heart is to live for him, to function in your gift the best way you can, then I believe you're you're just fine. Don't worry about it. Don't lose sleep over it. Just say, Lord, open the doors wherever they need to be open for me to use my gift. And I can tell you one of the prime places that you can start is right here in the local church. Amen. Matthew 25, verse 14 through 23. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now I think it's coincidental, maybe it's not a coincidence, that the word talent here, which is a monetary denomination, is used in this parable. Because in the English, talents are gifts and abilities. Amen? So it's an easy clue that this parable is talking about your gifts and abilities that God has given unto you and it says he's given to every man according to his several ability let me break that down to you that means that some people are more gifted than others but God will not hold you responsible for the level of your gift he'll hold you responsible for using your gift whatever level it is everybody follow me in other words the guy who got The five talents will be judged based on five talents. The guy who got two will be judged on two. And the guy who got one will be judged on one. Okay. All right. Then he that received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That's an old country word. They're going to be a reckoning. He's going to come and call you to account for how you used the gifts that he gave you on the earth while he was gone. All right. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. So he he doubled his money. Amen. He produced much fruit. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, this is what I want you to see. Notice that the reward for using this guy used his gifts to the utmost, to the maximum. And Jesus said, You've been faithful over a little, because really money is a little thing in the eyes of God. But now I will make you ruler over much. So the hint is that there will be a reward of rulership or authority that will be given to us based on how well. We utilize the gifts and talents that He gave us while we're here in this age. Amen. All right. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler. There it is again. Over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, there's a similar parable. And Luke chapter 19, it's called the parable of the pounds, where Jesus gives 10 servants one pound apiece, and they go out and, in you know, similar fashion. They trade in the financial markets, just like here in Matthew 25. But when it comes to the rewards, Jesus is even more specific about rulership and authority. He says, be thou over five cities, be thou over ten cities. That makes it even more clear that we'll be rewarded with a realm of authority based on how well we function in our gift and calling that was given unto us. So it's not a lightweight thing. You need to sober up and say, you know what? I have gifts and talents given to me by the Lord, and I will use them. Lord, open doors for me. Make a way for me to use my gift in the local church and out there in the real world. Your circle of influence Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Before we continue in Matthew chapter 25, I want to read from Revelation chapter six, which kind of introduces some new concepts, but also sort of wraps this up in a nice tidy package in the perspective of, you know, the rapture forward. Okay. Just stay with me here. Revelation chapter 20, verse one through six in the King James version. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I'm going to stop right there. Now, I did a word study on the bottomless pit. It basically means a void that has always got room for more. It's a picture of hell. No matter how many people you cram into hell, that word means this void, this place, this bottomless pit will expand if necessary to make room for more. That's a scary thought. Amen. But the other thing that I like is it says the angel cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. In more ways than one, shut him up in the bottomless pit and shut up his mouth so he could not, could not, will not deceive the nations anymore. Because that's all he's got, folks. We have the victory. All he has is his lies that he tries to peddle to us. That's all he's got. Amen. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now I want to stop right there. Why does he need to be loosed a little season? Well, you got a thousand years of time where there will be no devil and no demons to torment people or to lie to people, to say Jesus really isn't king. You don't need to serve him. But there will be people who will allow the flesh. I'm talking about the human, natural humans. They'll allow the flesh to cause them to rebel against the rulership of Jesus. And when Satan is loose, he'll start whispering in their ears that you need to launch a counteroffensive against this false king. Because he's not really the son of God or whatever lies he'll try to peddle. And this is the really sad part. If you go fast forward in the book of Revelation, you find out that the end of the thousand years. There's a vast multitude, the Bible says, from Gog and Magog. Who launch an attack on the holy city. It says there will be more than can be numbered. So there will still be people on planet Earth that are subject to to deception and will listen to the lies of the devil at the end of that thousand years. But it'll be over quickly. The Bible says they'll surround the holy city and then fire comes down from heaven. And in an instant, they're all wiped out. Burned up, deposited in hell, waiting for the lake of fire. Wondering what hit them. I think it's sad. I, I don't laugh about that. I don't rejoice about that. I marvel at that, that even after a thousand years of near utopia. There will be people who will still want to rebel against Jesus. And so he has to weed those people out. And that's why Satan has to be loosed for a short season at the end of the millennium. All right. I hope this is not going over your head. Praise the Lord. Verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There it is in the Bible. Brother Scott, why do you believe we'll live and reign with Christ a thousand years? Because it's in the Bible. In this case, it's not figurative. It is literal. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Can you say amen? Because that's you and me. Amen. On such the second death hath no power. The second death is the lake of fire. And I want no part of that lake but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Remember the law of repetition in Bible interpretation. If you find something repeated more than once in a few verses, it's Holy Ghost emphasis. You really will rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. And thank God you participate in the first resurrection, which evidently includes those that were raptured at the rapture, And those that uh, were beheaded by the Antichrist, they'll be raised also. And that whole period there, anybody who got a new body during that seven year tribulation participated in the first resurrection. Therefore, the second death, the lake of fire has no power over them. Amen. I say amen to that. Okay. All right. But it begs the question. If there's a first resurrection, there must be a second resurrection. And there is the Bible speaks of the resurrection of the damned, the resurrection of the dead. They'll be raised at the end of the millennium at the great white throne judgment, and they'll come up into the throne of heaven and experience the glories of heaven just long enough to hear Jesus say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work iniquity into everlasting fire that was designed for the devil and his angels. Whew, it just kind of chills you to think about hearing those words and standing in the glory of God when you do and realizing what you missed by rejecting Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So here's a couple of things I want you to note in this passage that are important. Number one, the devil and his crowd will be bound for a thousand years. Amen. And shut up. They will no longer be able to deceive the nations. The second portion of Matthew 25 is not a parable per se, but a literal account given by Jesus of how he will judge those who survived the seven year tribulation period in natural human bodies. All right. Notice that we will be judged as believers at the judgment seat of Christ based on how well we we followed our gifts and callings. It's, it's not a judgment for sin because sin has no power of us anymore. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin, past, present, and future. We'll be judged according to how well we followed our calling. Okay, But the natural human beings, they will be judged on something a little bit different. Just listen to this. All right. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. I know it's a lot of scripture, but... As I said before, just consider this to be story time with Dr. Scott. Just let me read to you. When the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was in hungered, and ye gave me meat i was thirsty and ye gave me drink i was a stranger and ye took me in naked and ye clothed me i was sick and ye visited me i was in prison and ye came unto me then shall the righteous answer him saying lord when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered. And ye gave me no meat, I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, I'm reminding you, this is talking about when the Son of Man comes in His glory, which is at the end. At the end of the seven year tribulation, that's when he sets up his kingdom. So the first thing he does when he sets up the millennial kingdom is he he judges the nations and separates the sheep from the goats. OK. All right. So some things I want you to consider here. It seems that the relationship requirement is deemphasized somewhat when it comes to judging the sheep and goat nations. What do I mean by that? Everywhere else relationship with God is explicitly stated in judgment scenarios, like in Matthew 7, 23, where Jesus says to the false prophets at their judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who do iniquity. In other words, I didn't have a relationship with you. You were not really born again. You were not really saved. You see that? There's relationship requirement in almost every judgment scenario. Here it seems like It's de-emphasized somewhat, but hear me out. It's really not. Hear me out. Here, the standard for entry into the millennial era seems to be, how did you treat my brothers? Which I believe includes the Jews, his natural brethren, and the tribulation saints, his spiritual brethren, who were persecuted and treated horribly during the seven-year tribulation period. I believe then that verse 46 can be interpreted to mean that everyone who treated Jesus' brothers shamefully has demonstrated by their actions that they have no desire for Jesus to rule and reign over them. And they will be sent into hell and eventually the lake of fire. But everyone who treated Jesus' brethren righteously has demonstrated by their actions that they desire Jesus to be their king. Do you see the difference? They will be given the opportunity to flow into the millennial kingdom in natural human bodies and, of course, to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their King. Amen? So to summarize, we will enter a millennial era where a race of superhumans will rule and reign with Jesus over a race of natural humans who will procreate and populate the earth for a 1,000 years. That's going to be a lot of people. A lot of people. You know, I did a study one time, and it's actually in one of my sci-fi books. I I used the World Health Organization's growth model for world population. And basically, I tweaked it, and I dialed down the death rate to only 25% of what it was before the millennium. And I let this equation run out 800 years i just arbitrarily said okay 800 years in the millennium if the death rate and the birth rate is what i think it will be you know death i'll say this in a minute death will not be unheard of but it will be rare okay so factor that in and after 800 years the world population swells to 34 billion 34 billion And it was really I think it was inspired by the Holy Ghost because uh, I looked up on the map to find out how many acres of land there were landmass on planet Earth. And there are thirty four billion acres of landmass on the Earth. So eight hundred years into the millennium, you got one person per acre. That's pretty crowded planet. Okay, which is my argument for and I'm getting ahead of myself. Why we have to go to the stars because we're going to run out of room. If these natural humans are going to populate odd infinitum, we need some places to go. And you know how I feel about that. Amen. Glory to God. I won't charge you anything extra for that. Amen. Anyway, this will be an earth where two out of three of man's greatest foes The world, the flesh, and the devil will not be factors in motivating men to do evil. The devil will be bound and his mouth will be shut for a thousand years. The world, the world system will be dominated by Jesus and his kingdom. So the only other thing that these natural humans will have to deal with is the flesh. They'll still have to put the flesh down, but we're going to be there to help them, to mentor them. To show them how to walk in love. To show them how to walk in Christ. Now there's two different theories about these natural humans that flow into the millennium. Some say all of them are saved. Some say some are saved, some are not. But regardless of which one you believe, let's just choose the scenario that they're all saved. Sooner or later they're going to have children. And children will have to eventually accept Jesus Christ As their Lord. So the gospel will be preached. There will be churches. Life will be very similar to what it is like right now. Only Jesus will be in charge. It's going to be so way cool. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How many would love a life where the devil can't talk to you and the world system doesn't want to make you do evil? And the only thing you have to deal with is the flesh. Some people say, that's my biggest deal. I'm like, well, at least there's only one thing. All right. It will be an earth where technology and science will be loose like never before. The Bible says the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Do you not think that the enlightenment that comes when Jesus is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem will not spawn a burst of technology that will that will. It'll be like the renaissance, the industrial revolution, the information revolution, all rolled into one and on steroids. No devil to derail the unique ideas that God launches toward mankind. Awesome. Awesome. So I envision a world where technology and science will be so advanced that poverty, crime, Sickness and disease will be largely eradicated. An earth where death will not be unheard of, as I said before, but will be rare. An earth where mortal men will live for centuries, not just decades. An earth where men will build great starships, which will explore the vast and unexplored universe and find places for the people who want to wander the stars to go. Amen. Planets that are habitable. I believe they're out there. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to. We'll just agree to disagree. We'll find out soon enough who's right. Amen. It'll be as close to a utopian vision that could ever be imagined will be achieved because of the rule and reign of Jesus and his trusted many brethren. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. And you ladies know that includes you sister too. Amen. Glory to God. It'll be magnificent, and I, for one, can't wait. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's teaching on The Rapture and Your New Body. Come visit our website at gofaithlife.com, where you can learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes. Also, visit and like our Facebook page, at Faith Life Wilmington.